Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Not everybody has wisdom teeth. Wait, you still have your wisdom teeth? Yes. Carol said the same thing. You still have these things? I just assumed that since they grew in my body, <laughs> I I didn't see there was something. Do I have to get rid of them? Not if it's not if it's not yeah. affecting the you know your mouth. I guess it not. doesn't yeah, seem I, to be. I had what are called impacted uh, wisdom teeth. They right. come in like sideways, so you have to take them out at that point. Okay, well mine yeah, yours... mine didn't come in like a rat. <laughs> mine came in regular, like in a regular person's mouth. <laughs> the Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. All righty then. Uh, first, let me just say, I got a, something the other day, save the date. I got it yesterday. It came in the mail, save the date. <clears throat> March 25th, 2023. That's next March. Katie and Brian, they're getting married in Jersey City. Katie Hecker and Brian Hoffman. I don't think I know them. Do you know them? I don't, but this might give you a reason to go to Southern Jersey, which could work in your favor. Yeah, well, no, it's Jersey City. Oh. Jersey City's up by Manhattan. Yeah. You know them, Nigel? I am not familiar with them, no. Well, thanks. Yes, but Mazel tov. I mean, yeah, lots of luck. Lots of luck. And I will save the date. I save all dates. I have nothing to do, really. <laughs> um, all right. I know you're going to want to hear about our thoughts on Ray Liotta dying, but Ann Hornaday is going to be on the show today. So we'll talk to Ann about that rather than we talk about it. He's in, he's in one of the greatest movies of all time. I mean, you know, yes. they've been making movies for over 100 years. And I would say that Goodfellas is in the top 100. I'm not going to tell you it's in the top 5 or top 10 or top 20, anything like that, but it's in the top 100. It's one of the greatest movies I've ever seen anyway. The basketball. Basketball stinks. All right, it stinks. The NBA playoffs stink. And the reason they stink, there's no drama. There's no close and late. A team at some point goes up by 20 and that's the end. The Miami-Boston series, it's happened in every game. One team stinks, and the other team's really good. There's nothing to it. The Golden State-Dallas series, nothing to it. Golden State won in five and could have won in four. And they didn't care about game four because they knew they were getting on a plane after game four and going home. And they knew they were going to close it out at home. They're 9-0 at home in the playoffs. Nobody beats them at home in the playoffs. I know Wilbon loves the NBA. I know a lot of people love the NBA. The ratings happen to be up. The product is, is, how do I put this? The product is great. They're great athletes. The games aren't great. The games lack all tension. All you ever want in a basketball game or any sporting event is for it to be close and late. And somebody comes up and hits a shot at the buzz. There's been nothing like that. One game, Boston. I think Boston over Milwaukee, one game late. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, Jason they, Tatum made a layup or something like that. Yes. But most, oh, there's 50 games. Nothing else has been particularly good. Certainly nothing in the latter stages of the playoffs has been particularly good. Now, I think when if it's Golden State and Boston, I think people will tune in. And there's always the potential <clears throat> for two or three games going down to the wire. But to this point... It's extremely unsatisfying. Am I wrong on this? Uh, Chessy, big NBA fan. Just just note that, please. In terms of the overall strength of the NBA, uh, good or bad, the fact that Golden State's going back, this is what, six out of eight years? It's great. People like Golden State, like to watch Golden State. People actively like Steph Curry. They actively like watching the three of them, Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. They actively like them. That's very hard to find in the NBA. So is that is that likable factor that keeps them away from like the super team category? That would be the thing that marks you down a little bit. Well, they're not a super team anymore because they were they they won a couple of championships on their own or got to two, won one, got to two, won seventy three games one year, didn't win that year though, and then Kevin yeah. Durant came, and then they won a couple with Kevin Durant, and then Kevin Durant left because Kevin Durant that's what he does. He shows up for a little while, and then he leaves, and he shows up somewhere else and tries to get a championship. It hasn't worked so far in Brooklyn. They're not a super team. When you look at them, to me, a super team has one star who can win the game from anywhere at any time. And you might say it's Steph Curry, but Steph Curry can't go inside necessarily and win the game at any time. He's not going to block a shot like LeBron James will. He's not going to do that. He's a great, great player. He's an all-time player. But I don't put him in that sort of magic bird, LeBron, Jordan thing. I don't. I mean, I think he's great. But the product, the product they've put out there for people to consume isn't very good. And the last thing you want 
is somebody dribbling out the last 20 seconds of the game because it's a 12-point game. Yeah. The amount of games that have finished 10 or more is amazingly high. It's just amazingly high. You don't get that in hockey. Well, I think you that- don't get that in hockey. They had a stat from the Boston-Miami series that in the first four games, there were four lead changes. Total. Total. Yes. In four games. So, so yeah. a really great back and forth. Uh, it's yet. just nothing. Uh, so the Nats are on a two-game win streak. The Nats won the other night. Not last night. The other night. They beat the Dodgers. one nothing. First team to shut the Dodgers out in a long they time. They shut out the Dodgers, and they had three different relievers pitch an inning each. And did all of them scare you? Yes. <laughs> but did they get out of it? Even Tanner Rainey? From Covington, Louisiana, did Tanner Rainey get out of it after walking people, as he always does? He's the only guy in the world with 97-mile-an-hour, 98-mile-an-hour stuff who doesn't find the plate when they put him in. And he's really, if he was good, Michael, if he was good, he'd be a lights-out closer. Yeah, he'll probably be great somewhere else. Yeah. Is it, does he nibble on the corner? Or no, is no. Just, when just, he misses, he misses big. Okay. No. <laughs> okay. No. He's a, he could throw nuclear loose style. He could throw it over the backboard. You know, he could do that. But they, they had a great game. And then last night, Patrick Corbin, your ace, in what I would call late May, finally got his first win. He went into the seventh. He's never gone through the seventh, I don't think. Maybe he has this year. But he went into the seventh, uh, and then a bunch of relievers came in, and they had a cushion. They were up for a while. And, then, and it looked Not like early cushion. on, it looked like early on, Patrick Corbin was giving it all back. Because um, it was 4 1. You get four runs of the first. It was one. You know, and yeah, they got four, and then, then suddenly it was Quickly four three. three. Yeah, it was four three. So, but I watched. It scared you a, a, an inning after that until you got the double play after a few errors on the field. Lovely double play, five four three double play. But he's fishing efficiently. Yeah, so he was fine, um, and they win that. Colorado, not a great team, but Michael, you point something out that's interesting about Colorado and Arizona. Yeah, you just look at where West. they are. Yeah, where they are, and they're both close to five hundred teams, and actually, you put either of those teams in the East, they're sort of neck and neck with the Braves and Phillies. Yeah. So, um, what else did I want to talk about? I went. Uh, I went last night. Was this the first time you've crossed the Lion Bridge in a year, two years? Well, I went down there one time before to drop something off at Shaw and Shaw. And this is the tap. The oh, when he didn't send me down to Shan Shaw. Yeah. Well, I, I they got two of my pieces now, and I'd like to get them back. And I'm not going down there. But I went. I crossed the bridge, and I went to the French residence. Not the embassy, I don't think. I think it's the residence on Calorama. Yeah, the embassy's over by Georgetown. Yeah, and I went to see um, an old colleague of mine, Bill Drozdiak, get honored by the French government. Win some sort of, it's not the Croix de Guerre, but it's sort of like the Croix de Guerre. And they pin it on your chest, and it's a medal. It doesn't say anything, and you're supposed to know what it is. If you're in France, I guess you're supposed to. Sort of like in France, it's probably the equivalent of an Oscar. You know, people say, oh, you got one of those. That's great. So the ambassador, the French ambassador to the United States, Honor Droz, who for many years was the Washington Post foreign correspondent and has in his life uh, been stationed in France and has just written a book about Macron uh, and has been a friend of France and a friend of wine for a long time, Bill Drozdiak. And what stands out about Bill Drozdiak is pretty simple. He's 6'8". Bill Drozdiak started at the University of Oregon on the basketball team. One of his dear friends at that period of time was Bobby Moore, who you would know better as Ahmad Rashad. They were pals at Oregon. Uh, Ahmad played on the football team, and Droz played, as we like to say, the crown prince Drozdiak, played on the basketball team. He was drafted by the Golden State Warriors. He didn't make the team. Went over to Europe and played for a while. Went to France, played for a while, and that's how he got involved in France and, and all the things French He's fluent in French. It's got an American accent to it. You can tell it's not native, but it's fluent in French. He brought, he's got three kids. He brought two of them and his wife to this nice thing. I wore a mask for half of it and then took it off because I was really in the back and I was standing behind George and Hazel Solomon, who I think are good. I, don't, I thought they could shield me. They could pick up the germs <laughs> instead of me. And then I you know, said hello to a couple of people, and then I left. But one of the things, and I'm, I'm happy for Droz, and you would ask how I know him. Well, he used to come to the Olympics because he's a former athlete. He understands the Olympics, and he understands the Olympic movement, and he understands foreign affairs. And so he's really valuable at Olympics, and that's how we got to know each other, like him very much. Happy for him to get this award. But something else happened that I want to talk about briefly. At one point in Droz's remarks, 
half of which were in French and half of which were in English, and I understood the English part. He talked about a couple of guys in the room who he played with, who were still his friends after all this time, who he played with in France. Now, Joe's graduated in 1971, so Joe's 70 years old, 70 plus. Um, so these are friends for a long period of time. And at one point he mentions and Carmine Calzanetti over there who played with me in Europe. Well, this was like a giant light bulb going off in my head because I know the name Carmine Calzanetti because he was the point guard at St. John's. I know that name. And afterwards, Droz introduced me to Carmine Calzanetti. And we talked about Louis Carnesecca. <laughs> and we talked about the fact, and Michael will appreciate this because he'll remember this name. I said, when were you done? And he said, I was done in 69. I said, okay, all right. I went to Newsday in 70 and began covering Frankie Alasia. And he said, Frankie took my number. Frankie went to St. John's as the point guard and took my number. So that was the lineage of the St. John's point guards. And Michael, you know that name from the great Jimmy Dunn. Yeah. Frankie Alasia works for the great Jimmy Dunn. And for me, this was so, such a small and wonderful moment. And Carmine Calzanetti said, let me introduce you to my wife. But his wife was talking to somebody else. I said, I'm just going to go. It's, it's okay. His wife's a doctor. And, and well, so I, I didn't, I wouldn't have known what he looked like, but it's a name you don't forget. Carmine Calzanetti is a Queens name, kids. <laughs> and St. John's is in Queens. And he was the lead guard for three years. And that was thrilling for me to meet him. And, you know, and talk about Louis. Louis still alive. Louis. <clears throat> Look this up. How old is Louis Carnesecca? I'm going to bet he's 95 years old. So yeah, very I'm happy he made it out of the attic. Yeah. And two, uh, this is at the... I don't uh, know. This may, may this reverberate bad. Did you get a nice glass of Sancerre where there's some good hors d'oeuvres? I didn't eat anything, and I had a couple of sips of a glass of wine afterwards and got out of Dodge a as quick of as sips. I could. Was it in a sippy cup? No, it was, you know, I just, I didn't, <laughs> I, I felt I should leave. I felt I should not overstay my welcome. I was hoping it was an outdoor ceremony, but... There was mist in the air last night, and they moved it to indoors, and I was very exceedingly uncomfortable. Glad I, well, I'll tell you in four days if I'm glad I did it, because at that point, I'll have the virus. So we'll see. Well, how old is Louis? Uh, turned 97 uh, this past January. Yeah. Louis is, Louis is the living, breathing history of college basketball in America. Sure. Yes. So we'll take a break. When we come back, Ann Hornaday will join us, yes? That is correct. Ann Hornaday. We'll talk about Ray Liotta. A couple of movies. I might even ask her about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. <laughs> I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening, You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is Kelly Proctor. She sends in a couple of songs and she writes... I'm so excited to write to you and send me my original, send you my original music. Since before the podcast days, I've been a longtime listener and sports fan, even golf. I don't fit your typical demographic, being an African-American woman in my early 40s, but my connective tissue to the show is deep. I live in Evanston, Illinois, near Wilbon's precious Northwestern University. I listen to the podcast while jogging around the perimeter. I love all the D.C. weather, sports, traffic updates, and I graduated as valedictorian from the Howard University School of Law. In 2004, left D.C. after that. I'm a wife. My husband, Jason, often asks me if I'm listening to that crazy Tony Kornheiser <laughs> when he hears a random jingle playing in the car. Why an attorney has original music brings us to the pandemic and me trying to stay sane. I barely knew a few chords on the guitar, but was able to write 10 songs and melodies for my debut album, Help Me Welcome the Storm. Thankfully, I partnered with some great musicians, Chris and Keeney, Will, and Isaiah, who produced and played for the album. This is called Help Me Welcome the Storm, which is also the title of the album. Once again, it's Kelly Proctor. We'll hear from her later as well. She plays in Ann Hornaday. We were going to talk about summer movies, but before we talk about Top Gun 2, and I asked the question, was this necessary? Because <laughs> I don't know anything about it. But before I get to that, Ray Liotta suddenly passed away yesterday at 67, which is very young to me at my age. 
And I'd like you to tell me, Ray Liotta, as we know, is in one of the great movies, um, Goodfellas. He's the, he's the lead, actually. I mean, he's the romantic lead in Goodfellas. The story centers on him and his involvement in the Lufthansa heist uh, with Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro. But it centers on Ray Liotta. Uh, what do we think of him as an actor and his career? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, as you say, for one thing, I looked, and I cannot believe, and he's in, once the story in Goodfellas focuses on adult Henry Hill, I think Ray Liotta is in every scene of that movie, right? Like, Could be. He carries yep. that thing and carries it so flawlessly. I cannot believe he was not nominated for an Oscar for that, you know, not let alone winning one, but... My God, that performance holds up. And what what the news, that shattering news, sent me back to, though, was I think like most people listening, he kind of burst into my consciousness with the movie Something Wild, mm-hmm. um, which was really one of the great screen breakout performances, I think, at least in my memory. Um, certainly of that era, maybe even of the 20th century. I mean, it was really one of those just absolutely electrifying things where you're like, who is that? Um, who is that person? What the hell? Because he, if you remember that movie, it kind of starts out as a little um, comedy, you know, like a goofy, yep. zany comedy and like, mis- you know, fish out of water, mismatched love matches and then about an hour in he arrives and completely turns the emotional weather around and just injects this you know nigel our good friend has this uh he he told me once about this acting term called the dangerous personality you know and it's that it's that kind of form of charisma that has a little bit of insecurity in it, you know, a little anxiety built into it. And that's what he had all the way through. And it was probably hard for him to break out. I mean, you know, he was good in everything. You know, I mean, he, the poor guy is almost like he couldn't not play danger because he just sort of exuded it, even if he couldn't help it. I I think he's one of those guys that should have had a better career. Agreed. In fact, I, in the last few years, when you'd see him doing tequila commercials, you'd say, what are you doing? Yeah. You're Ray Liotta. What are you doing? But I, I, and I don't know why that happened, but I, I don't think he had the depth of career that someone with that talent should have. Am I wrong? I mean, I'm not a, a critic on, on that level. I'm just asking you. No, I mean, you know, considering that kind of out of the gateness, like the, something wild, and then to Field of Dreams yeah. and Goodfellas, it's like, you know, like he was on a roll. And yeah. then, you know, who knows? how those things happen. It could be a matter of his own taste. It could be a matter of his management. It could be who the heck knows. You'd write like there's, you know, urban legends abound. Um, but then when you look, it's like he worked consistently. You know, it's not, it's not like, you know, he really, he was always in there uh, pitching. And then if you do that long enough, I think like what he did, you kind of come full circle. I mean, I don't know if you ever did see Marriage Story um, I didn't. a few years ago. I didn't. Oh, you know what? You should watch it anyway, but, like, it's a great Ray Liotta performance. And, you know, it was that kind of thing where when he comes back, we're all like, yes, you're here, you're still here, you're still great. And it was just, it was a very sort of, uh, it was a strong, he, was a, he played a divorce lawyer, and it was, a, it was like a, you know, by this time in his career, he's able to be a little bit self-referential, you know, and yeah. and and not not in an obnoxious way, but just sort of like you know where you sort of settle in, and um, it was just so gratifying to see. And and then he did, of course, the many things of Newark, which is a little bit of typecasting, but still interesting. And I don't know, it's just like you said, way too soon. Just when you kind of feel like, oh, he's going to get that sort of second act that he always deserved. Um, anyway, it's just it's a huge. It's a huge loss. I'll say this about uh, Ray Liotta in Goodfellas. And and most of the time, like Robert De Niro's Al Pacino, they're always Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. Joe Pesci's always Joe Pesci. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter how good the performance is. You know who they are. Ray Liotta is 100% believable in that role from start to finish. Start to finish. He is Henry Hill. There's no question about it. He has vulnerability. None of it. It's phony. It's just, it's great. It's just great. 
She's just I can't quite... agree more. I, I just cannot agree more. And just like I said, the fact that, I mean, not that Oscars are everything, but damn, really? Like, yeah. you know, what do you have to do? Yeah. Um, and holding, by the way, to your point, holding your own with those guys. Yeah. And that can't be easy. And, um, you know, holding your own with, with Scorsese's kind of filmmaking, which is a lot of Brevira, you know, that tracking shot. Yeah. And, you know, like, That's it correct. takes... It takes size, right, to like to to match that and to meet that and to and to earn that. And like you said, he does it every single moment of that. It's movie. great. There is, yeah, not a false move. Ugh. All right, let's go to the ridiculous Top Gun Two. Do we need this movie? <laughs> bow, 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 Fifty bow, years bow. later, do we need this movie? <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> Who knew? We like I was like you. I was a little skeptical going in and i am completely i am just here to tell you yes we do need it turned out we did all along but you know i'm glad it took this long because if it took them this long to make it it needed that time to to find its moment but all right let me okay we need to start with your emotional attachment to the first one I, I, I think it's a, a lovely movie. I think mm-hmm. virtually everyone in it is a caricature. Exactly. There's no, nobody real in it, especially the sergeant, you know, and all of that who right. yells at everybody all the time. But it's a lovely cartoon movie. It, it's okay. wonderful. I don't think it's Tom Cruise's best acting. I don't I, think, I, I think Tom Cruise is pretty good. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, we, no, all, right. we all remember the movie. Sure. It's it, we all remember the movie, but I that's why I'm okay. saying do we need another one? Same. <laughs> you know? All right, so that's ex- you, you, that's pretty much what I thought. It's it's almost yeah. I think in the ensuing years, Top Gun has almost entered the realm of camp. Yes, because it was so over the top. And yes, like said, everything was magic hour, and it was so, you know, the it, the script was corny and like let's take a moment now and pause for a slow motion volleyball game on the beach with shirtless right. bronze. But you know what I mean? Right. It was so fetishistic and kind of over the top, like '80s synthesizer Jerry Bruckheimer testosterone, like yeah, overkill. Okay, we can stipulate that. Now, and I agree with you completely about Cruz's performance. Definitely not his no, best. I no. think he was still finding his feet, and he was relying too much on that kind of cocky grin. And his character was obnoxious, frankly. I mean, you know, he was written that way. Now, they've given it, they've actually written a good script. I mean, it's like everything that was kind of lame. Really? About that first, oh, yeah. This is a smart, nuanced funny, uh, meaningful movie. And I say that with, with awe and wonder because I really did not expect that, along with all of that spectacle that people loved in that first one with the fancy flying and the loop-de-loops and the dog fights and the joshing and the ribbing. I mean, structurally, it really follows almost beat for beat that first film. But it does so with so much more finesse and um, emotional depth, and I don't want to give too much away, but I mean, I was really ambushed by moments when I when I, I was moved, you know, by some of wow. the because this is a guy who's you know it's thirty or forty years later, and he's, is he flying the plane still, or is he sitting out? Pl- of course, he's got to fly the plane. I mean, <laughs> he's he sixty-five; he can't fly the plane. But he's so much, and Cruz is a better actor. He is a better actor now. Oh, he's a good uh, actor much, now. And so he knows. He, he knows who he is. He knows. He knows the movies he's great in. He he's sure great. Does. He's he just all of those movies. The sort of Agreed. comedic danger movies, yes. Mission Impossible movies. The one he did yep. with Cameron Diaz, which is just wonderful. Oh, which is not Mission Impossible. It's yes. wonderful. He Tom yep. Cruise now. Yeah. knows who Tom Cruise needs to be. Totally but he's agree. flying the plane? Oh, he's flying the plane. Well, I don't know. No spoilers, but yeah, he's flying <laughs> okay. the plane. But he's going to fly that plane. But, can, but it's not just, you know, so he's fantastic. And the whole thing, here's, and I'm actually, I, you know, plug, I'm going to be writing about this in tomorrow's paper. I think what I appreciated the most about this movie is the, and, and I think a lot of it's down to him, 
is the is the effortlessness. You know, it's not labored. It's not trying to be something it's not. It's not trying to be super dark. It's not trying to be, you know, yes, it does have tons of fan service and callbacks to that first one, but they're so easily integrated. It's not it's not forced. You know, even Jennifer Connelly, who plays the love interest, her performance is so relaxed and kind of or I know everything kind of feels right with this and it's just um, it doesn't. It doesn't bonk you over the head with everything. It's just a good. It's a like a good old fashioned Tom Cruise movie. Are and there any cameos? Hmm? Are there any cameos by people yes. who were in the first movie? There are, and there's one in particular that that's what I mean about the crying. It's like okay. there's one that'll just that okay. really got me, and and that is that's the writing, and it's also the two actors involved. Like they okay. absolutely good. nail the moment and. No, it's wonderful, and they and they found some great supporting actors to play the new young pilots. There's one in particular named Glenn Powell, who's the kind of cocky, you know, arrogant one, who's just terrific. John Hamm, Ed Harris is in this in a little role, but just nails it. I don't know, I, like every element is working in this movie, and it's Good. it's kind of. Wonderful. I never would have expected this. I didn't either. I would I have thought I, it would be craptastic. <laughs> And yeah. then I thought, oh, this is the one I'm going to, you know, like everyone's going to think I'm such a killjoy. But, man, it really, it just proves, it just proves what, uh, you know, and again, I do, I do credit Tom Cruise because he's a producer of this. And to your point, not only does he know what he's, he's good in, good. but he makes sure that what he's good in is good. Like, yeah. he is a control freak. To his credit, I feel like he made sure this one was right, and the script was solid, and he picked a good director, Joseph Kaczynski. I don't know, all the elements are totally in play in this. It's wonderful. That's, I'm, it I'm wonderful. glad to hear I'm that. because am glad to be in, able to say it. Yeah, Top Gun itself is a cartoon. It's Agreed. a cartoon. I mean, you but, would, I mean, but everybody I knows it. it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I rewatched it. Everybody knows it. Oh, my it. God. It's, oh, yeah. it's, it's hilarious, actually. Oh. It's really right. funny. Can I, can, speaking of big stars, and Tom yeah. Cruise is a movie star. Yes. Johnny Depp was a movie star. Oh yeah. Are you paying attention to this? Are you are, are these? Are you paying attention at all to Johnny Depp and Amber Heard? And, and do, or do you take my position that the judge should say at some point, just get out of here, both of you, get out of here. I can't deal with yeah. this anymore. I'm not. I'm not. I, I'm not. And you know, I don't know if we've ever talked about it. I I'm not on social media. Nor am I. Um, so this, so we have the luxury of being able to tune it out, but. I, I gather <laughs> from the articles I read in the newspaper um, that if you are on social media, that you almost can't escape it. It's become such a viral, hateful thing. You know? It's and, just and, terrible. Oh, it's, just, it's, really, it's really awful. I mean, just uh, the way it's turned into this kind of circus. Um, and it's pathetic and sad, and I... You know, all you can wish for is health and healing for all parties involved. Yes, and go away. And, Kinda, and when yeah. it's over, just go away. But it leads me to this question. As I said, Tom Cruise is a movie star. I'm not sure he's a movie star. I'm an old man. Maybe, yeah, maybe I'm wrong about this. Who's a movie star now? Because we haven't had movies in two years. People don't go. Who's right. a movie star? Are this there is, any? Well, this is the question. Because, yeah, you're right. Depp was. I mean, I remember, was. <clears throat> you know, when I used to, you and I used to talk when I went to Cannes, and I would call from, remember that, yep. those days? Yep. And that is when I would watch the Johnny Depp. I were I was you know they did a Pirates of the Caribbean pi- Pirates Pirates of the Caribbean should have been the Pirates uh, of the Caribbean. <laughs> now there's a spinoff. Yeah. Um, but watching people like him and Angelina Jolie walk a rope line there, yeah, there was something about their connection. Uh, the way and this is God knows Tom Cruise does this. Like they put so much energy into that part of their work. It, that it was really beautiful to behold, you know. I mean, it was. It's like, damn, you know, you do it. You you know what to do, and you're doing it. And it was very generous, and that was kind. Of, and like I, I don't know if that's possible for Johnny Depp anymore. I mean, I think he certainly has his rabid fans uh, who are turning out with this situation. Um, I think this Maverick movie is probably going to be a kind of referendum on that um, in terms of. Can't, is Tom Cruise still a movie star? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and then, in a way, it kind of loops back to the Ray Liotta, which is, is it even still possible to have a breakout performance the way you had that? Like, do we still have even star-making moments where 
like a, a risky business with a Tom Cruise saying, like, who's that kid? Um, put him in everything. He's, he's magical. Now those seem to be manufactured, and people want those things to happen, and they kind of, you know, shoehorn, you know, like this new Elvis movie seems to want to do that with this kid. I don't know. Maybe he is. I don't know. My, my, my mind is open. But it, that kind of spontaneous star-making turn feels almost like a relic of another age. That's what um, I think, as yeah. do I feel like a relic of another age. <laughs> so, you and me both, you know, man. Yeah. On my, I'm hanging on by my fingernails, Tony. Yeah, I know. I understand how this works. Fingernails. Thank, thank you, Ann. Delightful. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Ann. Ann Horn today, boys and girls. We'll take a break. Jeff Passan will join us. We'll shift gears completely and talk about baseball. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Kelly Proctor, who says my songs bring hope and inspiration during dark times, and I hope you and the other fair littles enjoy them. The debut album, Help Me Welcome the Storm by Kelly Proctor Music, will be available on Amazon and iTunes on Tuesday, June 21st. Pre-order is available now, and if that wasn't enough, I also wrote an accompanying book with the same title, Help Me Weather the Storm, available now on Amazon.com. This is called Shine Your Light. You can listen to Kelly Proctor without me interrupting her at the end of the podcast. Michael, if people like Kelly want to send their original music, how do they do so? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornizershow.com. Kelly plays in Jeff Passan. And before we start asking dopey questions about baseball, you won an Emmy, right? You won an Emmy. I won an Emmy. Um... Yeah, it was really cool, actually. Um, and it was really cool. You know, the I'd never been there. Uh, the award ceremony is great. My wife and I got away from the kids for 48 hours, which is the best part of it. Um, but the real best part of it was that Drew Robinson, uh, who was the subject of the story, um, who in his life has been through just an unbelievable number of things, not the least of which was the, one of the focuses of the piece, which was on April 16th, 2020, when he tried to take his life, uh, shot himself in the head and wound up living. Um, Drew was there and Witnessed the whole thing, watched it, and, and Martin Kotobashian, who's the brilliant producer and director of the, the documentary we did, uh, Martin thought it would be a really good idea to allow Drew to take the Emmy Trophy home with him. So uh, the, the entire night was just fantastically memorable, but the fact that Drew was there to, to see it all and, and gets a little piece of this, uh, of which he was the enormous piece. Uh, th that was the best part of it, certainly. That's great. So you went. I've never been. We got beat again. We got, we've been nominated a lot, and we've been beaten most of the time. <laughs> but we got a few. We got a few. But yeah. I've, never, I've never been. I've never been there. So did you get well, to... Did, well, right. The reason you don't have to go is because you know you're going to be nominated every year because your show yeah. is fantastic. I have no idea if I'm ever going to be nominated for this again. None whatsoever. This may be, I, I may be like a one-and-done so clearly that uh, I go to Kentucky. Um, I mean, it's... <laughs> like, it's, it, it, it could be one of those situations, and so I figured, hey, why the hell not? And you know what? My, my dear parents were kind enough to come to town and uh, take a look after the kids. And I had a great meal in New York, and I got a massage with my wife. Like, the whole thing was just Good. very, very necessary. Very necessary. Good for you. Good for you. Let's start with some baseball questions. My son Michael showed me something today that baseball is appalled 
and changing uh, rules uh, be- at the way women are treated within the organizations of baseball. Can you tell us what that's about? So uh, probably about 48 hours ago, uh, a source reaches out to me and says, hey, check this out. And it's a memo from Major League Baseball, Michael Hill, who's the senior vice president of on-field operations. So, so Mike Hill writes this memo, and normally memos from Major League Baseball are just boring, straightforward. This thing is a, is a heater. This is him in the second, I believe, paragraph of the memo laying out the, the systematic reasons why Major League Baseball is completely screwing up and doing disservices to women. And uh, it says very plainly, if we don't treat women better, if we don't give them equal facilities at the ballpark, something as simple as, uh, hey, here's a bathroom that you can use. This is in our rules and regulations, and you, the club, have to provide it to the home team and to the road team that has women in their traveling parties, uh, or even if they don't have women in their traveling party. Um, and if, if you don't, you're going to continue this problem we have where not only can we not recruit women who think they should be part of this great game, but we won't be able to retain them either. And it was a stunning admission, frankly, from the league sending it out to to the teams and castigating them for, in many cases, having substandard facilities for women. And, and you may ask, well, why do they need facilities for women in the first place? There's a single woman who's a coach on a major league staff, Alyssa Nakin, with the, the San Francisco Giants. Well, it's not just on-field staff that's traveling with the club anymore. Um, it is trainers and massage therapists and analysts and, uh, you know, half dozen to a dozen other jobs where more and more you see women being part of Major League Baseball. And, and if you go to the minor leagues, Tony, there are more than a half dozen women in on-field roles. So you know, just as you know, everything else in baseball, if something's happening in abundance in the minor leagues, you're pretty damn sure to see it in the major leagues within the next couple of years. So uh, I, I think Major League Baseball is trying to be proactive, trying Good for to them. be thoughtful. And Good. Yeah, it is. It Good is. Good for them. And uh, you know, listen, the, there. this is sports. Uh, the The presence of misogyny uh, in in every corner of this fetid world, enjoy showing itself. Uh, and, and yet the idea that a league itself would go after its members and say, you're not doing good enough, uh, struck me as a, a really noble thing and, and something that gives me hope that the acceptance of women around baseball playing an enormous role, which, which by the way, they already do with with Kim Ang uh, running yeah. the Miami Marlins and and with Rachel Balkovic managing the the Tampa Tarpons the the Yankees Class A organization and and with dozens of others who really believe that uh, their careers are going to be in Major League Baseball and all they need is the support of the institution to back them well they got that support with this letter. Good. That's good. Let me get to something else. A small thing. I'm sure it's a small thing. The suspension for one game by Josh Donaldson with uh, Tim Anderson and all of that. Uh, was that necessary? Are you satisfied that, in fact, Josh Donaldson deserved that suspension and that, in fact, his, the, his announced jocular relationship with Anderson over this particular issue of Anderson saying, I guess I have to be the next or today's Jackie Robinson. Are you satisfied this is the right outcome? Uh, Frankly, I thought it was a little bit light and perfunctory. Um, I I, I don't know that Josh Donaldson should go out there and be suspended for a half dozen games or, or for more than that. But I found his excuse to be trite and, uh, frankly, ignorant. Now, should should one be suspended 
for ignorance, there's a, a fair argument to be made that no, he shouldn't have because uh, he said something stupid, and we say stupid things all the time, and, and our stupidity uh, quite rarely leads to, to discipline and consequences. But, uh, you know, maybe that's the point here. Um, it, it's that the, the necessary sensitivity to have a better world, to have a better game, uh, there's a high threshold for it. And the, the recognition of what you're doing and asking yourself that question at all times is paramount to the whole thing. Um, I, I just see Tim Anderson's reaction and response and can understand it completely because yeah. he's, he's not friends with Josh Donaldson. He's never been friends. And any of us uh, who have been called names before by people who we think are bullies or by people who we don't like, the first instinct is just to ignore, right? And, and my, my feel on the situation is Tim Anderson had been doing that for a while. He'd just been trying to ignore him, and you ignore, and you ignore, and you ignore. But at some point, it becomes really difficult to ignore when you hear something that just grinds at you. And when you hear it from a person whom you don't feel is entitled to say it to you because it, you don't have a friendship with him. You don't have a relationship with him. There is no comfort level with him. And w when it's something like this with a, a person who, uh, in not just in, in the game of baseball, but particularly in the black community, is beloved, as revered, as important as Jackie Robinson, uh, did, did Tim Anderson put himself in a position to allow himself to get needled by somebody who he doesn't like because, uh, in, in a way, he feels like he's carrying on Jackie Robinson's legacy? No, I don't think so. But uh, I, I hope that people in baseball, uh, you know, the, the players in particular, don't see this as unnecessary or an overreaction by the league. But uh, the continuation, hopefully, of, of better understanding of, of what our world is and what it should be. I will say that the Chicago White Sox players all coalesced around Anderson very, very quickly. Gave me the sense that Donaldson's a bench jockey and nobody particularly likes him. In fact, Chicago players said nobody particularly likes him. But I'll move on. <laughs> I'll, I'll move on off that. We're, we're a quarter of the way through the season, amazingly. Um, right. We're... Just talking, my son and I were just talking before we went on the air about how good the National League West is. That the last place team in the National League West would be in second place in the National League East, the last place team. And um, what what has surprised you a little or a lot? To, and and who, you know, who needs to get kick started real quick? Uh, it surprises me that the Yankees are this good. They've played a pretty weak schedule, but I'm sorry, 32 and 13 is 32 yeah. and 13. And they're beating the teams that they should beat and that they have to beat. Uh, the, the angels and, and twins have almost identical records, Tony. And, uh, I, you know, there was the sense that both of them could be good. I don't think, uh, anyone, and, and certainly I did not think they were, good enough to be playing 600 baseball um in the in the national league the the mets are very similar to the yankees in that yeah thought they were going to be fine did not think they were going to be seven and a half games up uh as we get toward the end of may particularly with jacob Degrom not having thrown a pitch yet and yeah. max scherzer on the shelf for what looks like a couple of months um and and then in the west I mean, the fact that the Arizona Diamondbacks are, are even 500 at this point is absurd. You look at that roster, that's not a 500 team on paper, and yet here they are in what's been the toughest division in baseball with the Padres, you know, nipping at the heels of the Dodgers at the top without Fernando Tatis Jr. having played yet. Uh, that is going to be an absolute rock fight uh, as as the whole season goes on. And I, I think this anticipation that we had about the Dodgers and Padres being these great rivals after the 2020 season did not materialize last year, uh, but is going to this year. You mentioned uh, Scherzer. Anytime anyone mentions Scherzer, of course, I think of Scherzer and Strasburg. Uh, Strasburg is apparently... 
beginning his minor league rehab and threw three innings the other night, 61 pitches, I think I read in Barry's Verluga's piece. Any sense of Strasburg and when and if he'll get back? He'll be back. You know, we don't know what he's going to be, though. Uh, He's, you know, he's 33 years old now. Uh, I think he threw five games last season. I think he threw two games the year before. So we're looking at seven games started since the World Series win, since COVID. Uh, It's a lot to come back from. But there have been enough cases, Tony, where pitchers have come back from long amounts of time off and been really good still that the only question for me with Strasburg is he is he healthy because if he's healthy the stuff should be there and if the stuff's there he's got the mentality for it to play that that's one thing that I I don't think at this point anyone can question about Steven Strasburg if he is healthy he's going to be pretty darn good and he's going to compete his ass off. And that goes a long way when you've got the natural raw talent that he does. Will he be the Strasburg that we saw uh, in 19? And who knows? I mean, he's you know, never healthy, arm, Jeff. He's never healthy. I know. He's I never know, healthy. I, mean, I, I understand, but he was healthy enough in 2019, Tony. They, they don't yep. have the ring without. They don't have the well, ring without him. And, they don't have the ring without saying, Corbin. They don't have the ring without the starters going into the bullpen and producing. They don't have those rings. And since then, Corbin just won his first game of the year last night. It was May 28th or whatever it is, and Strasburg hasn't shown up. And some people will make the case that they were hurt. They were physically hurt from what they were asked to do and what they, in fact, did to win a World Series. Would you make that case? Maybe. Hmm. Maybe. I, I, I just, you know, I don't, I don't know if we ever will be able to, to say that this is causative as opposed to correlated. Right. But I think the, I think the real response is flags fly forever. Yeah. Yeah. Even when people leave and go to the Dodgers, you know, <laughs> even when they leave, the flag still flies. Jeff, much congratulations on the Emmy. Thank you. Thank you. We'll have you back soon, I hope. Look forward to it, Tom. Thanks for having me. Jeff Passan, boys and girls, we will take a break. We will have email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. It's not just that he plays all the instruments. He's an emergency room doctor. He's an emergency room doctor, Ian Warrington. Fantastic. You want to do the Bethesda bagel ad? Yes, thank you. Sandwiches. The bagel sandwiches there. Great way to end the week. Going into the weekend, yes. We go to the Bethesda bagels. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location nearest you, then pop on in, and you'll be thrilled. Dad can't contain his excitement. Very happy about that. (laughs) He's been giving you looks all week. (laughs) That's about it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say the night was clear and the moon was yellow and the leaves came tumbling down. I was standing on the corner when I heard. It's actually my bulldog, but it's written in here, old Chessie Bark. She was barking at the two men who were gambling in the dark. That's Lloyd Price. Yes. That's Stagger Lee. <laughs> Thanks to our guests today, Ann Hornaday, Jeff Passan. Thanks to today's sponsors, ZipRecruiter and Indochino. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you got the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. We have this from Michael Limerick. It's long, but I want to read it. As a business litigator by trade, it's refreshing to accept the occasional pro bono appointment from our federal court. These cases usually involve claims that a prisoner has been deprived of civil rights. When most of your work involves moving piles of money from one company to another, cases like these can help cleanse the soul. 
An added benefit to these cases is you have to get out of the office to meet your client, and that usually involves a road trip. Prison facilities tend to be located in, shall we say, some out-of-the-way places in our state. So it was on May 17th when I ventured from Indianapolis to the Westville Correctional Facility in northern Indiana. It's about a three-hour drive, not much in Westville, but farmland and a prison. But hey, it was a nice day. I had some TK shows to catch up on. Even better, depending on which route you take to Westville, you can pass through Maryville, Indiana. Does it take longer to go up I-65 all the way to Maryville before heading east instead of taking the earlier exit at Lafayette? Sure. But why would you do that when Merrillville, Merrillville, not Maryville, Merrillville, has the Albany's Candy Factory and Outlet Store? <laughs> the outside doesn't look like much. See the attached picture, and it doesn't look like much. But just wait till you get inside. Prepackaged gummy bears don't do it for you. Well, step on over to the wall-to-wall bins of gummy candies, my friend. Bears, worms, rings, standard flavors, sweet and sour. The only thing they don't seem to have is a gummy Venus de Milo. For me, it was a package of gummy goof-ups. Eight bucks for a five-pound bag of perfectly good gummies whose only fault was that they came out of the machine a little misshapen. During this trip, I got to listen to your May 13th interview of Abby Lowell. Sure, he's a smart guy who can explain permissible time, place, and manner restrictions on speech. But did he get factory fresh Albany's gummy bears the last time he went out to see a client? I don't think so, Mike Limerick. There it is. Michael is showing Ooh. the picture now. Just yes, like the picture a of the factory. Albany's factory Look sent from Rob Colpia. <laughs> Bill Isaacson writes, sure, the birthday parties for young kids were cute, but I have to warn Michael. Darker days lie ahead. After my son Chris hit college age, my wife and I found ourselves watching Chris at open mic nights at places in Washington, nope. D.C., <laughs> such as where Nigel might have started. Chris told one such audience, my goal in life is to have sex based on themes of my childhood parties. Pirate sex. Dinosaur sex. Then Chris waved from the stage and said, hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. All I can say, Michael, is this. Good luck with teenagers and stories about the great zucchini. Oh, God. Makes you long for this, the Nigel's comedic bit about potty training. <laughs> Ken Williams in nice Birmingham, job, Alabama. <laughs> you could do it. My parents had a problem with deer eating all of their tomatoes. They installed a motion-activated sprinkler, and now the deer feast off the neighbor's tomatoes. Just don't forget to turn it off before you go outside. From Mike in Kalispell, Montana. Been a fan through marriage of the lady I live with and two non-masculine children. Sorry I didn't make the Christmas card list on our wedding 2010. I have a hard time picking a favorite pharmacist as both my parents and my brother are pharmacists. So is my uncle. Well, I guess I am a pharmacist also. So hopefully there's a little who thinks Mike the pharmacist at Big Sky Family Medicine is favorite pharmacist. Thanks. I'll hang up and listen. From Jason Welsh in Dunedin or Dunedin, Florida. I'm 56 years old. I just bought my first wheelbarrow. It's red. <laughs> what what prompts a 56-year-old man who spent his whole life not needing a wheelbarrow? Not sure with that one. From Zach Robinson in Longmont, Colorado. I've been sitting here racking my brain trying to think if I ever sat behind somebody famous on an airplane. For the longest time, I thought I never had, but then the memory came flooding back like a Kevin Sheehan weather forecast. <laughs> Around 2006 or so, I was working in the commercial food service industry, and I traveled from Michigan to Baltimore for a trade show. Lo and behold, on my flight back to Detroit, one of the featured speakers at that trade show was on my flight. I was perplexed because, number one, people kept coming up to talk to the person during the flight and a baggage claim telling stories about how much weight they had lost recently. And number two, why was this person flying into Detroit as a destination? The person in question was none other than the now-disgraced Subway sandwich pitchman himself, Jared Fogel. Little did I know then what would become of Mr. Fogel. As I was typing this out, I realized how pathetic this is my only famous person <laughs> on an airplane story, and I clearly need to get out more. Hopefully next time it won't be someone that ends up serving 15 years in a federal prison. Uh, Alan, A-L-A-I-N, Alan, Oakland, California. About 10 years ago, my wife and I were on a red eye from San Francisco to New York. We'd upgraded to the business class row. We were sharing the row with an older black gentleman sitting on the aisle that we soon realized was Danny Glover. Very cool, but my wife had somehow gotten me to agree to the middle seat so she could be on the window. So there I am, all 6'3", 240 pounds, having to squeeze in between my wife and Mr. Glover, both of us watching baseball on our little screens while having a bit of an elbow war for the armrest between us. <laughs> so having imbibed a few margaritas prior to the boarding, I knock out for a while. When I wake up several hours later, Mr. Glover is gone, and I find my wife glaring at me. I ask what happened. She proceeds to tell me that about an hour earlier she had woken up and seeing Mr. Glover was not in his seat, she decided to go to the bathroom. On her way to the back, she gets a tug on her blouse looks down, and there's Mr. Glover now sitting in the gen pop area of the plane. He motions for her to come closer and says, there's no way two big black men should be sitting next to each other on a red eye. Why'd you make your man do that? All the while chuckling under his breath. 
Guess when I was sleeping, I got a bit too comfy and leaning all over the side of the armrest. When we got to JFK, we were at the baggage claim. My wife and I see him, and I was going to go up and apologize to him and tell him how much I loved him in Predator 2. But he saw me coming, <laughs> gave me a head nod, and walked off in the other direction. Since then, when we fly, my wife takes the middle seat. <laughs> From Dan Newbert, Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. Is Mount Pleasant near? No, I think that's, uh, pretty far north. Okay. All right. Um, I wonder how many littles rejoiced last week when you mentioned the new game, famous people you've sat next to on a flight. I said out loud while walking the dog, I can play. Many years ago, I traveled a lot for work and would frequently be upgraded to first class. On one occasion, I sat down, and who was right next to me? Frank DeFort. I was watching real sports on HBO at the time and was a fan. Sitting next to him, I was so nervous I could barely look his way, let alone start a conversation and probably miss the opportunity to hear a great story. I will say with all due respect to Mr. DeFord, he drank like the world was coming to an end or he had a hollow leg or both. <laughs> Finally, I'm in the middle of a kitchen renovation and I'll update the team on the number of outlets when it's completed. Frank DeFord is an idol of mine. Um, when I was young, coming up, and I read Sports Illustrated all the time, Frank DeFord, Curry Kirkpatrick, and Dan Jenkins were the people I wanted to know and I wanted to be like. And I knew them all and know Curry, who was the last uh, remaining of them, and have been with them. Frank DeFord once went into the basement of a previous house of mine, and Frank was about 6'5", so his head was smashing against the basement ceiling, and offered me a job. He offered me a job to work at a, um, a newspaper that was coming out called The National. A lot of people went to work at The National. Mike Lupica went to work there. John Jr. Feinstein went to work there. A lot of people went to work there. I did not. I stayed at The Washington Post, and I'm very grateful for having stayed at The Washington Post and every turn that my career took. But to have Frank DeFord sit in front of me and offer me a job and tell me my writing was good. I mean, you got to understand how great a writer Frank DeFord was. For him to tell me my writing was good and was worthy of him coming to the house and offering me a job is just about as great a thrill as I've ever had in my life. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Right after I got here, I ordered some spaghetti with marinara sauce and I got egg noodles and ketchup. I'm an average nobody. Get to live the rest of my life like a schnook. <laughs>
Your soul. 